Father, thank you for how strengthening it is to us to gather together, to fellowship, to see that we're not alone on this trail, to gather around your table and reflect upon our salvation today and all that Jesus means to us, to sing together, to pray together, and now to open our Bibles together. And so, Father, give us a right attitude, give us a a spirit of openness, a a spirit of receptivity for your word and to your spirit. Father, may we be careful to have humble hearts that we would be obedient children before you, that we would love you above all other loves, that your word now would have great freedom to impact us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I really appreciate the pulpit supplies of the last few weeks. If you've not had a chance to be here, um, I trust you'll be able to click online if you have a computer and uh, go to fellowshipwv.org and you'll see there where to click on sermon player. And uh, Tom, thank you for your great job of filling the pulpit two weeks ago and a great message on grumbling. And that's one to keep in the archives because we need that one about once a month. And so thank you for your good ministry. We'll be talking more about Tom and Heidi in the, just in the next couple of weeks. So you'll be listening. It won't be long that they'll be uh, getting in that airplane and heading back to Africa. And we really want to uh, enjoy the last few weeks that we have with them. What a blessing uh, they've had in ministry. I know you were substituting for Pastor Everett's uh, foundations class today. Thank you, Tom, for that. And, and then uh, last week with Dr. King from Appalachian Bible College, And I listened to that message in our hotel room on my laptop, and I was really blessed on just the reminder of the eminency of the return of Christ and uh, how that impacts our lives. And um, so thank you guys for that great word. If you were in the early service three weeks ago today and not at the outdoor service at the camp out, then this may sound a little bit familiar to you. Um, For the first time since we've gone to two services... I had a trick played on me, and I preached Sunday morning in the early service, and I love Capesi. I hope you enjoyed having him with us and getting to know him. He gave a report Sunday morning, and when we went to the second service, his report went 55 minutes. He just never stopped, and I didn't have the heart to stop him, and I think it was what the Lord wanted. But uh, So I'm operating on the assumption that the early service has heard our Genesis 13, 5 through 11 message, and the second service hasn't. And so if you were here already three weeks ago today and you don't want take two on it, I guess you get an early start to Bob Evans. Um, <laughs> and maybe if I hadn't even said anything, you wouldn't even know it. Um, but that would hurt my feelings too much to, to think that that could be true. And uh, so to begin with, though, seriously, let's turn in our New Testament, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Shall we please to lay a groundwork for where we're going back in our Genesis message? And I am aware of the clock this morning uh, with our communion time, but uh, how nice to gather around the Lord's table as we have done. Ephesians chapter 2, before we turn now to Genesis uh, to continue our series in the life of Lot. And Lot, and there's not a title in the bulletin today, but um, our message title today is A Lot Like the World. And you'll find that that Lot was a lot like the world. 
Ephesians chapter 2, though, as we lay a groundwork and as we prepare our minds, let me read verses 1 through 10. This is all about the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. Notice, the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians church, Ephesian church and to us, As for you, you Christians, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. You see, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Did you get a little bit of that? Did you get that we used to be something that we're not now if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior? Did you get that in verse uh, 4, it's because of his great love for us that God, rich in mercy, made we who were once dead alive in Christ. And in verse 6, and he raised us up with Christ and he has spiritually seated us with Christ in the heavenlies so that in the coming ages he can point at us and boast. You want to see how great my kindness is? You want to see how great my grace is? You want to see what I can do to transform a life? Come to my trophy room and guess who's there? All of the believers in Christ who've been transformed. That's a pretty marvelous reality, isn't it? That's heady stuff. That's Pauline theology, and so it's never easy to take it all in in one gulp. And perhaps it clarifies it a little bit by turning a page, maybe five or six or seven pages in your Bible, to the right, to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Notice there what he says. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory, and so forth and so on. Listen closely as you now turn back to Genesis 13. I want you to think about the fact that we were all once lost in sin, but that God has worked a great transforming saving work in our lives through faith, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are no longer the person you used to be. 
We used to be, Paul said in Ephesians 1, by nature, objects of wrath. By our nature, we were sinners. We were dead in trespasses and sin. Sometimes when I'm, especially when I'm teaching teens, I'll say, dogs bark and sinners sin. We were just natural sinners. That's all we did. And now Christ changed us. Question. Why is it that we so much have to fight and that we love reflecting upon, delving into, tampering with the ways of the dead? Why is it, as Proverbs would say, that we love to return to the vomit? Forgive me for such a crass statement. Why is it that we who are seated in the heavenlies, we who've had our eyes open spiritually, we who've had our lives transformed in Christ, why is it that when I'm really honest, that deep in my heart, it's sometimes divided and I want to return to the old ways, the ways of the dead men walking, the ways where sinners sin because it's their nature. Do you deal with that? Do you know what it is to look around the world and like the psalmist Asaph to say, man, when I look around at the prosperity of the wicked, my feet have almost slipped. Maybe I'm missing out on the good life. It's not always easy, is it, for a believer in the Lord Christ, one who is now an alien and a stranger in this world, I am now a citizen of heaven. I am one who is looking for another city. Isn't it sometimes difficult for us not to get caught up to think that all that is meaningful is here in the world? Oh, that's Lot's problem. Lot was a lot like the world around him. And you know what I fear? I fear that the church is a lot like the world. I fear that we're living way below our potential of who we are in Christ, and instead, we love to go a-lapping and a-chasing after the world. Be like the world. I don't want to be a geek. I have news for you. If you have been transformed in Christ, you're supposed to be a geek. You're not supposed to fit into the world. Well, let's go to Lot. We don't have a lot of time, and we'll keep building on this for a while. And um, as the Lord opens my eyes to what's all in these passages. We're in Genesis chapter 13, in route through the book of Genesis. And I hope that if you've been around, it's been meaningful. If you haven't been around, you can click on the, the computer to the website. Uh, some of the messages are still on there, available in the archives. And uh, you can get reading in Genesis. I think you'll find it really challenging. I was encouraged the other day when uh, Pete Stevens in the early service called me and he said, Pastor, I have uh, a question. And he was talking about, he said, uh, once a week we gather our family, our whole family gathers and we review the Sunday message from before and we're reading and we're trying to to guess what you're going to say next. And we're studying Genesis as a family. I thought, how good for Pete to take leadership in his home and to bring his family together one night a week to specifically study Genesis. And uh, that's, I think you'll find it helpful if you'll engage in those kinds of ways.
Well, we have limited time this morning, so let's break down what we're going to look at here in Genesis chapter 13, verses 5 through 11 is all, 13, excuse me, 5 through 13. Let's read our text here, and uh, let's remind ourselves of where we've been with Abram and Sarai and uh, Lot, and let's see what's going to happen here. Genesis chapter 13, verse 8, so Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling, excuse me, back up to verse 5 is where I want to start. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. It is not the whole land, be- is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. And if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Verse 10, Lot looked up and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt toward Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and, notice, pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. We'll stop right there. To break down our passage today, what we want to see, three things that happen. First of all, we see in our text that there's a problem that needs to be dealt with. Secondly, there's going to be a proposal from Abram, and then ultimately there will be a parting of the ways between the two in their relationship. I'll remind you that in chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, what we've seen after this fiasco trip into Egypt in chapter 12, do you remember in the famine, Abram, obviously out of the will of God, goes to Egypt. He ends up mucking everything up there. He's now back in the promised land of Canaan. He's not to possess it yet, but he's to live there himself. And he has his nephew Lot, his brother's boy, his brother who had passed away, his son Lot had traveled with him. And there now becomes a problem between the two of them. Let's take a look at the problem because it's, first of all, it's a major irritation. The problem, a major irritation. Look at verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites also were living in the land at that time. Here's the problem. I have this problem in my garage right now. My blessings have become my cursings. They have so much stuff. It was funny. I was cutting through my garage with Love Capessi. He stayed with us six days. And he looked at my garage one time when we were cutting through and he goes, this is not good. <laughs> you know, Love, you didn't have to come from Africa to tell me that. My wife tells me it every day. It's good stuff, though. Plywood and, and boards and bicycles and everything. 
Their blessings had become their curses, right? They couldn't fit in the place that they were trying to dwell. And so you'll notice that, that they had four reasons to their problem. Number one was the blessing of their large herds. God had blessed, they had populated, they had large herds in verse 5. Secondly, you'll see that there was limited land. Limited land for their pasture. And so their staff... Number three, began to quarrel. They had quarreling staff, large herds, limited land, a quarreling staff. That's a nightmare for administration, isn't it? They're trying to make things happen, and then all they have is their managers running back to them saying, we can't get anything done today. They're, they're throwing rocks at each other. They come a guy, bring a guy in with a bleeding head. What happened to you? Got hit by a stick from one of Lot's guys? What'd you do? I, you know, I don't know, I... Tied him up with duct tape or something. You know, I just, I got, you know, they're fighting. They're carrying on. They're mad. They're taking our stuff. No, they're taking our stuff. We were here first. Well, really, who was there first were the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And the fourth problem they had to deal with were the landowners. There was just too many people for that much space. You have a problem, and it's become a great irritation. But you'll notice now that Abram has returned back to where he belongs. Remember the message where he went full circle and he had returned home. Home is where he belonged. He was now worshiping the Lord. He was a godly spiritual leader. And he had the insight. And my take on this passage is this. Though Abram, it doesn't say this in the text, but when you put it in the context of the results of all that happens, my take on this is that that Abram and Lot could have continued to dwell together, but that Lot had become so disrespectful that he did not humble his heart before Abram. And Abram, much like some of you with a, with a teenage, an older teenager, or maybe a young adult in your home, it gets to a place where you say, you know what? We just can't dwell in the same house anymore. Something's got to give. So how about this? And usually we wouldn't do this. We wouldn't say, how about if you, know, you live in the garage and I'll live in the house, or if you live in the house, I'll live in the garage. You know, something like that. You need to choose. You're either going to live here in peace or you're going to go. Abram... What is Matthew chapter 5, isn't it? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? In Abram's godly state, in Abram's restored state of spirituality, he has the godly insight to try to be a peacemaker. And so he comes up with a proposal that has personal limitation to it. It's a proposal dash with personal limitation, number two but the personal limitation is going to be better than the the awful irritation of the problem. And so he proposes that Lot decide what they do. I think there's also a clue in in Lot's attitude here in chapter 13, verse 10, when you notice Lot looked up and he saw that the whole plain of Jordan was well watered, watered. And then in verse 11, and so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan knowing that he was taking all the water, all of the green grass, knowing that the options were not good here for Uncle Abram. And I think that this is where we begin our study on Lot and what's beginning to work on him through the eye gate, through the lust of the heart, through the lust of the eyes, and through the desire of the pride of life, that there he is, Lot, in chapter 13, verse 10, now stands up and looks over the whole plain. And we have now number three, the parting of the ways but it's a dangerous separation, I want you to see. It's a dangerous separation. Yes, Abram has suggested that they need to separate. 
But you know, as he stands up there in the valley and the river runs this way, all up and down, couldn't Lot have said, how about if we use the river as a divide and we'll go on one side and you go on the other side? We can both have uh, available water. We can both have fertile areas in the plain. But I'll also show you that in Abram's wisdom, even though Lot can't resist going out there, did you notice where Abram ends up? And Abram lived in Canaan. That's where God told him to go to begin with, isn't it? And you're going to notice that Abram continues to be blessed even though he didn't choose the fertile area of the Jordan there and all the water. Interesting, isn't it? Well, I want you to see that there's a parting of the way here and, and we're, we're using this as an entry point into some thinking on Lot and what's going on inside of Lot. And I want to show you uh, a couple things here as we wrap up. First of all, even though he's submitting to Abram's request as his older elder to, to make a decision, I think that he makes a selfish decision, taking everything, not caring where Abram, or not even submitting and saying, no, 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 Uncle Abram, you choose first. You're the elder. You're the one I should respect. I'm going to respect the, the hoary head, the gray head, and I'm the young man. We'll tough it out. You go first. None of that. Why? Because it was too late. Lot had already stood up on the peak and he'd looked over and he had seen. In fact, it's kind of a breakdown that looks like this, isn't it? He looked, verse 10, look at that. He looked up and he saw that the whole plain of Jordan was well watered. It was like the garden of the Lord. He should have seen it. It was like even like Egypt. Wait a minute, wasn't Egypt out of the will of God? Yep, but it reminds me of Egypt, man. I love going back to some of those places we weren't supposed to be. Some of our best times were down in Egypt, weren't they? Egypt in Genesis is always representative of being out of the will of God. Egypt for the people of God in Israel, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy always represents being out of the will of God. But when Lot stands up and he looks and he likes, what's stirring in him is, this reminds me of Egypt. This is like everything the world has. I can have Jesus in the world too. I can disrespect Uncle Abram and I can make the greatest economic decision of my life. I can take the whole thing. After all, he told me to do it. He looked and he liked. And then look at verse 11. And so he chose for himself the whole plane and he set out. He left. But then look at verse 12. Here's where it begins to be a problem. And Abram lived in the land of Canaan. That's where God told him to be. But Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents toward near Sodom. He lived with them. He looked, he liked, he left, and then he lived nearby. Listen. This begins to represent an entire shift in Lot's life away from the auspice and direction of Uncle Abram and out on his own, away from the safety, away from the protection of Abram. That's what chapter 14 is going to be all about. He's going to get taken hostage. Uncle Abram's going to have to go rescue him with full armament, kill people to get him free. Lot is turning away from the blessing Lot is turning away from the blessing of being with Abram that we're reminded of back in chapter 12. 
Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. All people on earth will be blessed through you. I think that Lot should have said, Uncle Abram, do you remember what God told you? God told you that whoever is with you is going to be blessed. And so I'm with you. (laughs) I'm not choosing the whole thing. You have to make the decision. You tell me how to administrate it. I'm just sticking with you because I want to be blessed. But no, no, nephew Lot. Oh, Uncle Abram, he's so old. I don't even know if his eyes are good enough to see what's out here. This is like Egypt. I like this. I could live there. I don't need Uncle Abram for protection. How unwise. I don't need his blessing. Look at all that I have. How foolish. But ultimately, the greatest danger is this. He is carelessly exposing himself to the ways of the world. Notice the progression now. Look at this. 13.10. Look at your Bibles. Lot looked up and he saw. He looked. He liked. He lived. Verse 12. Now he lives there. He pitched his tent near Sodom. Now look at chapter 14, verse 12. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Oh, wait a minute. I was just going to live over there, you know, nearby. Wait a minute. He's in Sodom now. It doesn't stop there. As the story progressed, and this is a a lot about Lot here, chapter 19, verse 1. Flip the pages. Chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He goes from standing up on the hill looking, liking. You know what's going on? Every fiber of his body screamed to enjoy what was down in that valley. He moves down and pitches his tent toward the wicked cities, Sodom included. Did you notice the parenthetical thought that was up in the passage earlier? This was before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like, you know where I'm moving to? I should have checked the dates, but it's like in in World War II, it's like, we're moving to Hiroshima. It's a beautiful city. One week before they blow it up. It's like, go ahead, enjoy. You got problems coming in a real hurry. And he pitches his tent towards it. And then we see that he's living in the city. And then we see that he's sitting at the gate of the city. What is that all about? I'll tell you what that's about. That's about being one of the esteemed citizens of that community. That's like being part of the mayor group. We're leadership here. You know, 2 Peter tells us, we won't look at it right now, we'll look at it later, another week, that Lot was a righteous man. You're going to see some things happen here that are going to really challenge your brain on understanding that if that's a righteous man, I don't want to be a righteous man. But you know what Peter says? He was a righteous man and that it vexed him daily to live among these sinful people. Then why not get out? I'll tell you why not, because when he looked, he really liked it. And he could not tear himself away. There's a progression here, isn't there? There is a a downward spiral. Let's conclude by turning to 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. And with this, we'll close today and we'll pick it up later. 1 John 2, 
verses 15 through 17. Look what it says. It's easy to hammer on Lot. But what I'm wanting us to do is to recognize how susceptible we all are to doing exactly the same thing. He had every right of blessing under Uncle Abram. He rejects it for the way of the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives or endures forever. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of sinners. Stand or sit in the seat of the mockers. See the progression? Walking one day leads to sitting down with them, leads to being among them. Lot's got a real issue. And Lot's life is about to radically be impaired by God's hand of blessing coming off of him and his household because of his choice to enter into this way of the world living. There's a couple more messages coming. Chapter 14 is, I mean, it'd make a great movie. What's going on there? He almost dies. He almost loses everything he has. One day, future, a number of messages from now, he's going to lose everything he has. It's going to be burned up with fire and brimstone, and he's going to lose his wife. He's going to, right before his very eyes, have her die by being turned to a pillar of salt. He's going to get involved in an incredibly gross incestual relationship with his daughters. This time has nothing to do with God's plan of propagating the earth. His life crumbles. You know when it started? It started the minute he stood up on that crest and he looked down and he thought to himself, I could have all this. Uncle Abram can just go wherever Uncle Abram wants to go. I want it. I want it. I love this stuff. I love it. What a struggle we're in, isn't it? What a challenge. Seated in the heavenlies. All of the blessings of Christ are ours. And we're trying to lap up vomit in the corner over there. What is that all about? It's the power of the flesh, isn't it? It's the power of the world. And it's the scheming of the devil. By God's grace, this summer we'll continue to grow in strength and we'll tear this issue of worldliness apart a little bit. Break it down and understand what it's all about that we not succumb and become a lot like the world. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, may our hearts be tenderized today with a growing reality of who you are with a growing ability to discern what is in your will and what is out of your will. Lord, that we would be really careful not to be caught up into the ways of the world. And Father, that you would revive us, 
that we would love righteousness and hate sin, that we would be able to transfer truth to the next generation and not see them entering the valley of destruction, wanting to be like the Egyptians. So, Father, do your work through your Holy Spirit, through the scalpel of your word, in our meditations, confront us. Help us to be disciplined and willing to make changes. Recognizing, as we were so reminded of just last week, that we want to be found pure at your coming and not be ashamed. And Father, prepare us to be a strong church, to be joy-filled in the face of persecution, not fat and lazy in prosperity. Help us not to be ashamed of your gospel in any way. Help us to quit worrying about what the world thinks about us and worry only about what you think of us. And then recognizing that you will use us to reach the world. It's in Jesus' name I pray.